0: Wednesday, May twenty third. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Motley Fool Special Ops, Mike Olson, and from Motley Fool Inside Value, Joe Maker. Gentlemen, good to see you. Howdy. Uh, the Facebook saga continues. Uh, we will get into that. We will also dip into the full mailbag, but we are going to start in the world of big tech. Shares of Dell down more than seventeen percent this morning after the company's latest earnings, and the damage did spread to some of the other big tech companies. As of this taping, Hewlett-Packard, which is going to report earnings uh, after the market closes today, Hewlett-Packard down more than 4%. Microsoft down 3%. IBM seems to have escaped uh, most of the damage, only down 1%. But, Joe, let's start with Dell uh, before we get into the space writ large. What, What happened?
1: It was a pretty big choke job. They missed their own sales guidance by a big margin. The
0: sales were down 4% year they, over Wait year. a minute. They missed? So they put out guidance and they missed that number? Really badly. Is but, this uh, like when Charles Barkley said he was misquoted in his autobiography? It's like, wait, no, it's your autobiography. How'd you... You know, you know what happens. <laughs> the, the it guidance, wasn't bad.
1: The guidance was ghostwritten, guys. <laughs> yeah. It was a, it was a bad, bad quarter all around. They got savaged on the consumer side. So consumer PC sales are only really 21% of overall revenue now, and a lot of bulls like to make that point that people mischaracterized Dell. That said, they really got bludgeoned there. Sales were down 12%, and the unit is now close to break-even, so it's deleveraging pretty badly. And when you've got a business unit that's 21% of sales that's on the verge of tipping from being a major profit center to a cash bleeder, that's a serious issue.
0: Mike, what uh, we got HP hours away from reporting their earnings is this a preview of things to come is is Dell to any extent a proxy for others in the computer the PC space um
2: i mean it's indeed conceivable i think when you when you think about the industry the consumer PC industry writ large Dell and HP are the best positioned in a very horrible spot in that they have significant scale which enables them to leverage costs and to offer their wares at a relatively low price. However, that is also the problem, which is that people shop on price in the, for the better part of PCs and there's nothing which differentiates or distinguishes those offerings and they're just continually cutting themselves off the knees to gain market share.
1: Yeah, I'm not a great short-term forecaster and never hold myself out that way, but I'm going to go on a limb based on Dell's terrible quarter and assume that HP will not be hitting the sales estimates Wall Street had as of yesterday. Uh, I mean,
2: even if they did, guess what? Six months, 12 months from now, that business is probably going to look worse than you thought it
0: would. So as a longtime Microsoft shareholder, how how concerned should I be about, to Mike's point, sort of this shrinking... PC market.
1: Well, the shrinking PC market is a challenge for Microsoft. Obviously, they're on virtually every PC, but it's not as much of an issue for Microsoft as it is for Dell. Uh, I do think a longer lead time or sales cycle will hurt Microsoft on the enterprise side, but by and large, it won't be hurt as badly as Dell. And you know, there's a reason it's not falling nearly as much as Dell today.
2: Yeah, I think another thing to note in the case of Microsoft. By the way, I'm a shareholder of Microsoft and Dell. Is that they have a lot of enterprise software packages as well, and so those these are very sticky, re, are very sticky revenues, and that businesses basically build their reporting and business processes around them, and that is wholly distinct from the Microsoft Office and Windows franchises, which are of course ubiquitous and totally associated with it.
0: Uh, Mike. Is a shareholder of Dell. Uh, Joe, uh, I believe with uh, the stock down today, it's at a new 52 week low. Yeah, you, I'm going to pass. You're going to take I, a pass? Well, I
1: hate tech <laughs> hardware. It's just such a brutal industry. It, where, it,
0: it is. Yeah, it's
1: brutal. Competition is fierce. Competitive advantage is fleeting. And, you know, you have top dogs change positions all the time. And, you know, I mean, Dell's cheap and 21% of its market cap is in net cash. I mean, that's attractive. But I still think I'll just leave that to Mike and. <laughs> whoever else
2: is buying today. <laughs> I mean, in other redeeming qualities, the one thing you want to be aware of here is outside of the cash balance, which is absolutely enormous, they could pay down just about any of their debt in maybe two years, is that there's been this this ongoing transition in Dell from a PC company, which is what it's known as, to a hardware and services company, in which case they're basically trying to be your, your soup-to-nuts provider of hardware services. And These are much stickier revenues. They're the type that are going to stay around a lot longer. Right now, they comprise 50% of gross profits. The problem with acquiring sticky revenues is it's hard to win those customer relationships. And so that's going to be the type of transition which will occur not over a quarter or two, as many people were expecting, but instead several years, in
0: my opinion. So when you look at the PC computer services space, what's a stock you like? I like
1: Qualcomm. It's a bit of a cheat, because it's not right down the, the PC pike, but it's more of a smartphone play. They own a great treasure trove of IP and patents around 3G and 4G, they get a lot of licensing revenues as a result,
2: and they also produce a lot of chips that go in phones on smartphones. Mike? I like Oracle. Um, I think Oracle, this is again a cheat, because they basically manage data warehousing software and provide associated apps to businesses. The idea here is that businesses dump all of their data, particularly large enterprises, into this data warehouse, then buy all kinds of associated products and services from Oracle. It's incredibly difficult to switch because the implementations are hugely resource intensive and you build your business around it. It, They've built a cash cow around it. They're a very savvy acquirer and they also have a huge cash position. Right now, I think it's trading at maybe 11 times free cash flow. And yeah, there's pressure from the cloud, but A lot of that risk is priced in right now, in my opinion, and they've made some meaningful forays into it. Yeah, those implementations are really
1: nasty. Like one of our extremely nerdy inside baseball jokes around the office is (laughs) anytime you see in a conference call that a company is doing an SAP implementation or an Oracle, but especially SAP – is just like oh no because the next couple quarters they're going to come back and be like well we had some problems with the sap implementation it's taken longer and our inventory is all messed up that's what happened with lumber liquidators and the stock just got
2: rubbed because, it's not
0: you're saying it's not the uh, computer services equivalent of changing a light bulb
2: no it's it's the total opposite the funny part about it all it always is too is
0: they'll say you know what it's a one time charge or something like that no it's an eight time charge <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, Facebook shares up around 3% this morning, but that's not the news. Uh, The news is the shareholder lawsuits that have been filed in New York and California. The state of Massachusetts has subpoenaed Morgan Stanley and all of the underwriters, guys, all of them, Goldman Sachs, J.P. Morgan, uh, Bank of America, Barclays, they're all being sued, as is Mark Zuckerberg and, and some of the board members over what we've talked about the last couple of days, these these reports that have come out that, um, you know, all of the information about the stock um, was not shared with all investors at the same time. Um, what do we think of this? What, well, I mean, cause, cause <laughs> l- let me just put this out here, because shareholder lawsuits are not new, and a lot of times they don't hold water. But this one seems kind of different in part because, it's a company that's got close to a billion members and it's a company that everyone in the mainstream media knows and understands and let's face it, the uh there's been a stumble out of the gate for the IPO. I think uh maybe a few high-level observations here. First, if you're Zaki, you're happy you liquid right now.
2: Um because well, previously you weren't. Um my guess is a lot of the a lot of these lawsuits are ambulance ch- ambulance chasing lawsuits, but I think one thing when you think about Facebook's business prospects is this actually could have a very slight but negative impact in that it's it's a bit of a public relations black eye for them and it yet again reinforces this image of them being a somewhat sinister force in the the social networking world. Or inept. Uh, right, or inept. And then the last point is that if the worst of the assertions end up being true, which is that this research, which was published by Southside analysts Now, bear in mind, you have a Chinese wall between the investment bank yep. and the uh, the equity research analyst. If this information was selectively distributed to preferred clients, I mean, that is one of the cardinal sins in the research world. And that, that would be quite bad for Morgan Stanley. Yeah, I mean, it sounds to me like, okay, a few
1: things. One, it sounds like sour grapes. Uh, This always happens when a stock takes a big fall as shareholders come out of the woodwork and there's a class action lawsuit um, trying to, you know, score some money back. And I don't have a lot of sympathy for people who bought a wildly overvalued stock that was super hyped and then it fell. Now, you know, they could say, well, they can allege that someone had information that someone else didn't have, but, you know, that will be seen and I again I don't have much sympathy because the information that they're saying this was based on was based on a publicly disclosed filing from Facebook right before the IPO where they said they updated people on the revenue guidance. It wasn't as good as what people had been expecting. It was decelerating. And it was right there for all the world to see in public filings. Right.
2: I think you make a great point, which is that this isn't really a shareholder issue. The shareholders really have no recourse when it comes to this. Most all of this information was publicly available. They could have figured it out if they chose to. It's much more of a black eye for Morgan Stanley or JP Morgan or Deutsche Bank.
0: Uh, You also mentioned the black eye for Facebook. Uh, Joe, if you're Mark Zuckerberg, how concerned are you about the negative publicity?
1: I don't know. I'm feeling pretty rich if I'm <laughs> Zuck, and I just got married if I'm Zuck. So I'm probably not freaking out about it. But so we
0: shouldn't expect a public statement from Zuckerberg anytime soon?
1: I wouldn't think so. I do think, though, that this has definitely rung their bell a little bit. I'm sure all the people at Facebook, I mean, it was hysteria, practically. On CNBC, they're showing, you know, they're ringing the bell at the the NASDAQ that morning, Mm -hmm. and they woke up early doing it live from the West Coast, thousands of people outside. I mean, this is something people got hyped up for, and the stock has been punched in the nose. So, I'm sure they're all disappointed and a little bit rocked back. But I think, you know, Zuckerberg, uh, the day of the IPO, told his people, like, hey, everybody relax. This is business as usual, which was a pretty mature point on his part. And hopefully, you know, they're going to do that. I mean, I don't have a problem with Facebook. I think the stock's overvalued, but I wish them well.
0: When are we going to know what this company is like in the public markets? We've talked before that you know it's obviously very different to be a public company. Is it their first earnings report? Is it a full year in the public markets? When, as an analyst, Mike, when do you feel like you're going to have a good handle on Facebook as in terms of running their business as a public company?
2: Well, I think the hard part as an analyst and as an investor here is that Facebook does what is strategically smart for its business. It's going to be continuously investing in those analytics, innovating, and and just spending money. And so that will culminate in tremendous top-line growth, but it may or may not show up in the earnings. This has been a continuous challenge for the likes of, of some consummate innovators. You know, You have the Amazons and the Googles of the world where They'll post a 40 percent top line growth, and then there's no earnings. And the street and, and anybody who's trying to think about this and present a logical framework for how, how can this company earn money, it's extremely difficult. And so my guess is you're going to see a lot of that in you know maybe its first few years as a public company, and putting a framework around that will be difficult. Joe, you agree
0: with that?
1: Yeah, I think how well they live up to their initial forecast and expectations they set with investors will be crucial. You can look to Groupon as an example. They're kind of the poster boy of coming out public, charging out of the gate, and then just totally whiffing on expectations. And that's a really bad way to get started. Except it's a
2: much worse business. (laughs) Yeah, well, it is.
1: Uh, Facebook's already off to a bad start. They can't really afford to to screw up. And I think what you're going to see a lot over the next few quarters is a lot more FaceTime with Sheryl Sandberg, uh, the COO, former Googler, and Zuckerberg's kind of right hand woman, so to speak. She's kind of the voice of reason there, and I think she'll be the one that most investors lean on for the adult advice and feedback. <laughs> uh, she's
0: actually up in Cambridge, Massachusetts today, uh, giving an address to the Harvard Business School graduates. So it'd be interesting to see, at least later today or tomorrow, the reports of, I don't know, to what extent she addresses the IPO at all. You can always drop us an email radio at fool.com is the way to reach us got an email from Paul Beckman in Chattanooga, Tennessee. He writes, Guys, how risky are telecommunication stocks, namely Verizon, AT&T, and CenturyLink? They have relatively low beta, vigorous competition, and pay yields in excess of their corporate borrowing rate. How does all this fit together? Joe, I'll let you tee off first.
1: First First of all, Chattanooga has a great aquarium. (laughs) <laughs> Let me just say that
0: they do. I think we can all agree. They they have. I believe they have sharks in their aquarium. Like in like in, through a tube. They have like I, I helped my middle school daughter with a report that she was doing, and this came up. I mean, it's no
2: Georgia aquarium, but it's still a very nice aquarium. This is a bad horror movie. Like, the
0: sharks, they ram through the glass, and then they're eating people. Well, you know, yeah, there's plenty of buck been made on (laughs) movies like that. Uh, (laughs) So, (laughs) so Uh telecom. So, back to telecom stocks. Yeah,
1: I recommended buying, and then a few months later, recommended selling AT&T at inside value, and the rationale was I love the Sprint acquisition, or I'm sorry, the T-Mobile acquisition, but it fell through. This is an industry where you're going to see continuous falling average selling prices. Um, it's going to be really tough for telcos to keep up their pricing power. And because of that, I think the high yields you see on these, you know, these stocks look like annuities and they look safe, but they're really kind of sneaky, risky in that sense, where today the cash flow is very regular, but over time they're going to have a hard time keeping that up. Uh, if you're looking at a, a Verizon, you know, Verizon Communications, you may actually want to think about Vodafone instead. Uh, A lot of investors don't realize this, but Vodafone, which is a a global telecom operator and predominantly focused on wireless, actually owns 45% of Verizon Wireless. The other 55% is owned by Verizon Communications. So, if you're looking for a backdoor way into playing the best U.S. Telecom, and I think Vodafone's quite a bit cheaper. Then you may want to look at that instead of Verizon. Right. I think there's
2: one thing that you have to like about Vodafone, which is basically that they are are pretty well positioned to capitalize on emerging market growth, where Verizon, and particularly the Verizon, the the core U.S. business, is is in a very difficult position, in that they have this fixed line business, which they need to continuously invest in to maintain. And it's historically been a cash cow, but it's been slowly but surely disintermediated by cellular, I mean, internet-based phoning, whatever you will. And then, you know, as Joe says, they're going to face continuous price pressure in their U.S. wireless business, and they need to continuously invest in that. It'll be a cash cow, but I hardly it's expect, a shrinking cow, <laughs> right? I hardly expect it to shoot the lights out. I think you know a low
0: teens multiple is very reasonable for a stock like that. Okay. We'll end there. Joe Meager Mike Olson, guys, thanks for being here. Thank you. Thank uh, you. It is a short week for us, so we will be back with Market Foolery on Monday. Be sure to check out Motley Fool Money this weekend. Our guest, our favorite guest, Nell Minow, corporate governance expert and film critic. Plenty to talk about in the world of corporate governance with everything going on with J.P. Morgan and Chesapeake Energy, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, we'll talk summer movies as well, so check it out. As always, people on this program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That is it for this edition of Market Foolery. Our producer is Mac Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on Monday.